Hello, thanks for choosing to listen to this University of Brighton podcast. I'm Richard Newman, and this week I've been speaking to Bhavik Patel from the School of Pharmacy and Biomolecular Sciences. With students looking at their options during clearing for all kinds of reasons, Bhavik's a true success story of it. In fact, clearing is what brought him here to the University of Brighton in the first place, and he's now about to become a professor. We recorded this a few weeks ago. The reason for saying that will become very clear because of the Cricket World Cup and Bavik started by filling us in on his role here. My job is really involved around teaching and research predominantly uh, focused on the discipline of chemistry which is the area that I teach on. So most of my time is is sort of focused around teaching students uh, in analytical chemistry which is my passion mainly in the courses of pharmacy and uh, chemistry and then um, you know, on on the sort of sidelines, which is just as important to me and really passionate for myself, is doing that research and focusing on elements that I'm really interested in, which is really measurement and measuring devices and things of that nature. So where did this interest, that passion come from then? Um, I guess, you know, ironically, I think my passion came from when I was an undergraduate student at university. So, you know, lucky enough, I came to the University of Brighton and what I really realised that actually what I was really passionate about was was not really the, the fundamental theory of a subject, but actually the applied nature of a subject itself. And so really seeing the ways that you could take real concepts that exist in sciences and utilising them for real world situations was something that was really, really inspiring to me uh, as I was sort of learning through that process and being educated. And that sort of driven me on towards what I do in terms of my research and how I want to educate students here at the university itself because I really am passionate about providing real-life examples of real practicality in everything we do that has a purpose. It's not just the sake of we want to make the smallest thing or the best thing or whatever, but it doesn't work. We want to do things that actually have purpose, and even if they're the most, most novelist things, it doesn't really matter as long as they help the situation that we care about in progressing our knowledge. Was this something that you always wanted to get into? I guess it wasn't something that I completely knew. I think as I was going through my undergraduate degree, I started to sort of get a grasp of the fact that I was really interested in doing the creative side of science, not really what would be the more robust areas of science where you'd just go and do a repeated assay or follow what procedures would be. I wanted to take ownership, I guess, of the science I wanted to do. And that sort of led me to talk to some of the staff that were at the school at the time that highlighted that, you know, research would be a good area to get into. Why don't you go and do a PhD? Just go and see what it feels like. If it's going to be good, then you'll enjoy it and that's your career. If you don't, then well, you can go back into industry and follow that routine uh, of area. So that sort of got me into the PhD. And and, and my PhD um, that I went to do in Imperial was in the Department of Bioengineering, completely alien to to the chemistry area that I'd come out of and, and were passionate in. But that department encompassed so many different disciplines. It had people that were electronic engineers or mechanical engineers, people doing MRI imaging or bone mechanics. And there was just this great learning ambience there that you could see all these wonderful disciplines and how they intertwined together towards a common goal to understand human biology. And at that point, it sort of sparked a real interest in me and thought, you know, I've got this great knowledge in analytical chemistry or chemistry that I'm really passionate about. 
and I can apply it to these problems and involve other disciplines to it and fuse all of these sciences together to solve these massive problems. And to me, that was that was then the real ignition in, in my mind to, to really get my career going and saying, well, that's, that's really what I want to do and I'm going to go forward in that way. I, I think before we go any further, we have to start by offering our congratulations because you're about to become a professor. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, so from September, I've become the professor of clinical biological chemistry. So, yes, it's a, it's a very exciting time for me. I think when I started off in my career, it was an aspiration that I've had. And there's a cheeky video out there that says that was my aspiration. Um, that cheeky video said, by the time you're 40, are you, are you, so, how, so how have you done with that? It's, it's a great one. So I, I become a professor officially on the 1st of September which is my birthday. Oh, great. And I will be 40 on that That's day. Amazing. So I think I would just say just about tick that box. <laughs> and as you said on uh, on Twitter, the first British Indian professor at the University of Brighton. Yeah, from, from a Gujarati background, I think, you know, there, there have been other people that have been around and we've got professor in the medical school as well. But I think for me, it's it's been a long time since we've had someone from an Indian heritage background who has been a professor at the university it's, it's well over 20 years if, if you go back and have a look at that factor so to me it's a really important uh, element for me I'm very passionate about my culture and very passionate about sort of using myself to support students that come from those backgrounds to see role models or uh, benefits to support them in their journey and, and you know this is an area that's been highlighted a lot with with attainment and issues around accessibility and widening participation. So to me, that there, there's a lot of emotion behind getting to that professorial element because I know now it's not just about me actually getting to a tier that was important for me as a milestone, but more importantly, how I can use that as a vehicle to support, sustain and inspire a future generation even more than what I've already wanting to do for my career. So it's an important transition for me and, and, you know, that's something I'm going to take very seriously. You just bring that up about the attainments. It's a big focus for the university. What do you think needs to be done? What is that, Have you seen enough improvement? I think, um, you know, with, with BAME attainment, you know, everything started off looking at the metrics and highlighting the problem and there's the big government reports that have come out highlighting the issues there. Um, you know, the first thing that happens is we need to talk frankly and honestly about race and highlight the issues talk about the issues and make people comfortable to talk about them without doing that without actually acknowledging the statistics and and seeing what they mean to us at a deeper level we can't really tackle the problem to start with that's that's the first acknowledgement we have to take forward i think it's then really understanding um students from different cultural backgrounds and actually as people being more aware of cultural background itself um and I think by doing that, we, we better understand how these students from different backgrounds or different environments converse in the way that they study at an educational institution. Because, you know, all of us feel slightly different. If, if I come from even a different part of the UK and I'm familiar with something that really I'm happy with, I want to be around that community when I'm not feeling so great. So it's, it's really getting that understanding through that will probably help the situation in my mind. And that's something that you know, hopefully we can start to understand better. Mm. Uh, your journey to this point is uh, a great story. And we're talking at the right time because students will be looking at applying to the University of Brighton through Clearing now. Can you tell us why Clearing has a special meaning for you? Our clearing is, um, it's emotional, I think, when I think about Clearing. Um, you know, so I, I guess, you know, I went through at a time when 
I didn't get the grades. Um, and it was devastating. I remember opening the envelope. There was B's and D's and all sorts of noise that was just not what I wanted. And, you know, my parents sort of, everything was going well, everything was progressing and we were going to get to a university. And it was just heartbreaking opening that envelope and seeing the grades, seeing their faces, a uh, really emotional period uh, for me, just knowing I hadn't got anything. And uh, I was in tears. I just couldn't do anything. It was my brother who um, called up universities. I couldn't even stomach doing it. Couldn't even talk to anyone. He called up the University of Brighton, ended up talking to someone and, and got through onto a course onto clearing. So for me, clearing was a lifeline. You know, it was my soul had gone and it come back. It was an opportunity. It was a second wind to do something to make a change to get over this trauma that had happened at probably an age where you shouldn't be handling trauma and so for me it was it was massive it, and, and in two days I'm, I'm made by clearing because to me clearing got me onto a course and it, it made me think of how do I become better what did I do that wasn't right um, in my mind and that could have been things that I didn't own up to being right about. So it was an opportunity to say, okay, great, that's a wake-up call. Here's a lifeline. Go and grab it and, and get on with it. So to me, it's everything. Clearing is everything. Clearly everything went right in the end. How, do you, how have you seen clearing change over the years since you went through it? I think clearing has always had a stigma to it. Even when I applied and, and even the perceptions of clearing has always had a stigma to it. There was a perception that you weren't good enough that you weren't um, talented to get it through the normal route. You were always a second-rate citizen when it came towards being even educated. That, that tide is changing. That tide is changing. There's, to me, a whole barrage of students that have come through clearing and have better, even more progressive careers than those that come on to for normal courses. There's no real prediction on this sort of thing. And the reason for that is the circumstances that people enter through university through clearing are all different. You know, some people have had personal circumstances, some people just don't understand assessments, some people have study school issues. You know, that doesn't mean they're not talented enough to be good at university. It just means that we need to identify their issues and, and support them in the best way possible. So to me, clearing was always opportunity. And we seldom use that word clearing. We always use it as a, as a backdoor passage in to a But actually, it's a massive opportunity. And over the years, it's evolved to become one of the biggest opportunities available to students and the rate that students applying for clearing has grown and we sort of put a new tag on call adjustment you know we put this lovely tag on to say oh people with you know good grades can go to a better university well that's really clearing as well it's just another word for clearing actually it's become a market that allows students to get the best opportunities for themselves irrespective of the grades they get on a level to support their future so actually clearing is the future really in the way that students should see themselves as a positive angle and that transition has really helped take some of that stigma away from clearing and I think that's really important you should never feel nowadays that clearing is some of the archaic opinions that we had about it that it was really second-rate students coming in it's the ultimate opportunity and students should welcome it endorse it and be excited by it yeah, and, and as you say clearing will be used in in different ways uh, clearly sometimes not everything goes to plan. So what advice would you give to a student then who may be concerned because if we're looking at a traditional route through clearing, something hasn't gone right and a student may be 
a little bit panicking about what they're going to do in just a you know just over a month's time so what advice would you give to that student who needs to make a new plan that's a, it's a really good point so <clears throat> i think the first the first factor is that don't feel fearful of the process i think this is really important i think one of the biggest factors that i felt when i was thinking about clearing or, or had to go through that clearing route was was feeling that I couldn't really speak to anyone because they'd look at me in a different way or they'd belittle me or it was a, it was a character judgment in some circumstances. That's really not the case. I think everyone that you speak to is incredibly friendly. They're really there for your best interest to give you the best advice possible. So the first thing that's really important is is speak to people. You know, people are, are there to listen, to understand your circumstances, to, to support you, to give you the best advice that's physically possible. And you can't do that if you don't pick up the phone and talk to people in clearing centres or to course leaders or anyone um, that is supporting clearing at that opportunity of time. Uh, and and that really is the most important thing, to not think of it in a way of fear. Think of it as a, an opportunity to speak to people, to tell them about your circumstances, to not worry about it and let people help and support you in the best way possible to give you the career ambitions that you want at a place that you will be happy to go and study at. So what's, in the end, made you decide to come to the University of Brighton? And what advice would you give to someone that maybe is thinking about coming to the University of Brighton now? Maybe not even just for your course. I, I guess, um, for me, when I called up, I spoke to the course leader um, at the time, and he was incredibly nice. You know, he's incredibly nice. He uh, gave me loads of good advice um, talk to me about what he, f- what I felt was the issues and why I didn't think I got the grades that I wanted. You know, it was a, it was a very frank and honest discussion, and I and I just felt the most important thing I felt was I felt that I was going to a place that would look after me, and you know I think most people want that, and I also felt I was going to a place where it wasn't a problem to highlight the issues that I had that I felt shouldn't be highlighted as issues, and my issues were. I was just rubbish at exams. This is really poor exam practice. And, you know, they nipped that in the bud within the first year because they just said, this, this can't continue. Here's some ways of studying exams. Here's some study skills. Go away and practice these sorts of things. So, you know, I think it's really important to, um, you know, have those conversations and just be open and honest and frank about things because that's the beginning of change. That's where you're going to change your life around because you have those conversations for clearing. So for me, Brighton just felt comfortable. It felt like coming to a place where I knew they were looking after my best interests and I and I felt that was really important to me. Plus, it's a pretty good place to live, I think, you know, so... Yes, we've been here for quite a while, so we'll come back to that as well um, in just a bit. Regarding the process, it's easier than you think, as you say, you phone up and you, you chat to people who may be involved in your course in in the future the number for the university of brighton is 01273 644000 we'll put all the information in the podcast description or you can visit brighton.ac.uk let's talk a bit more about your work here then bavik the university of brighton clearly a special place for you Uh, what do you like most about your interaction with students and uh, what's kept you around um I, i love everything about my interaction with students i think um they, they, they're the heart and soul of everything that I like about education. You know, for me, seeing a student with that light bulb idea because they've learned something or they've seen an idea of research or they've got a great result from their experiment, um, that's the thing that's special for me. You know, any accolade I get or anything 
is pale in significance that those moments that you are in education for. So to me, it was always just seeing the light bulb or the joy in someone else's face that they picked up something. Um, and, you know, with Brighton, it's great because you have the ability to offer that interaction with students uh, at, a, at a, you know, significant rate. But also, you know, this university, when I came, was all about giving you real case scenarios and examples of real things of your discipline. And, and those examples were brilliant because it really contextualised the subject material that you were studying in, in the format of chemistry. I really got an understanding of how important it was for the pharmaceutical industry, which is where my passion was at the time. Um, so to me, being able to do that, you know, to students right now to sort of highlight where they could go, where their careers could be, giving them some real life educational activities that really contextualizes what would be like for their employability. It, it's just great. You know, I just love that feel, that buzz that I get from doing those sorts of things. Hmm. We're just a couple of weeks away from graduation as well. You, you like seeing those light bulb moments, but seeing a student graduate must be quite special. Yeah, it? it's it's incredible. I think, um, you know, either I'm at graduation or I've got my laptop off if I'm in the lab with other students watching the graduation ceremony <laughs> in the background, which is great. Um, you know, and, and personally for me, being an alumni of this university means a lot. You know, it means a hell of a lot because I value everything this university is about. So you get to see the new crop of alumni it's it's a it's a proud moment you know for me as an alumni seeing new members of the club um in that sense and members of the club that i've shaped to some extent that's there's nothing better than that yeah Um, and you're generally involved in enhancing the student experience too because can you tell us about what you've been doing regarding e-learning yeah so um i guess you know before i came here i spent a lot of time in america where there was a massive wave on on this concept of blended learning using electronic technologies and classroom teaching in order to provide a really good environment for for facilitating learning. And, you know, when I came to Brighton, that was the first thing that I thought would be really useful to to integrate into the curriculum from what I educated. And so really my my concepts were to create platforms or technologies that supported student learning that they could use either in the classroom or outside the classroom that gave them sort of learning tools or visual tools that they could use to supplement their knowledge as they went either into one of my classrooms for a lecture or outside my lecture so they could further gain from the subject they've been taught. And the reason I wanted to do that is I just felt that, you know, that would give a more well-rounded holistic educational approach to the student. Um, and it's it's made massive differences. We've sort of done those educational studies with blended learning and, and actually surveyed how it's impacted the students and from every element we've applied these new technologies, we've seen improvements in the student engagement, in their satisfaction, in the way they've been educated, but most importantly, their performance has improved. And, you know, that's what you're here for. That's what I'm here as an educator to do, to actually do the best that I can for my students. So what kind of thing are you are we looking at? So we're basically looking at really um, a variety of different sort of short videos or visual guides that sort of help and support students in their learning activities. So an example would be something we've done for lab classes, for example. So we tend to see students that come into lab classes and if we follow the old traditional way, they come in with their recipe books and they just follow out their recipe and conduct the active... It's not really great active learning environment. So 
we sort of felt that a lot of students felt that they weren't familiarised with the learning environment, they didn't know a lot of the equipment or the apparatus and what was the right way to use it or not. So we created sort of an online platform on their learning environment that would give them sort of visuals about good practices and bad practices that they could look at in advance before they came into the lab. Um, and we noticed when we gave them that platform, as they came into the lab, they finished the practical an hour earlier than they normally would do. And that hour was great because it allowed me to sit there and talk to them and say, what does the results mean? What have you found? What does this all come back into rather than rushing around? So, you know, it's just becoming enabling. It's giving the students more confidence because they feel that they've seen something before they walk in and therefore they can have a go at it without the fear. And by doing that, it gives us time to stop the class and give the opportunity to further say, well, what do you think is going on here? Or why is this happening? Uh, so, so all around, it's made massive improvements on the way we can evolve our teaching. Yeah, and another area of your research is regarding novel sensors and devices for measurement of signaling chemicals between cells. I think in the simplest terms, can you tell us what you're working on? No problem. So one of the things I'm really passionate about is measurement. Um, so that, that's fundamental to everything I do. And the area that I'm really passionate about is that in our bodies, we have cells. And those cells release chemicals. And those chemicals actually go and communicate to other cells. And that facilitates really the process of communication in our bodies. And uh, the obvious example, the clearest one that we can think of, is two neuronal cells that communicate in order to drive what we do in our brain function. But it's not just confined to the brain. It's all parts of the body that process these signaling processes. And they're essential for our function. And if they change they onset various types of disease around the body. The problem we have is that if we think about the context of this measurement, it's small cells, these molecules that are whizzing around at high con rates of speed at very low levels. How do we measure them? And if we could measure them, can we understand how they relate to disease and whether that can help us direct therapy? So a lot of our work is developing sort of novel, small probes, devices that can interface with cells, tissues, biological entities that allow us to measure these molecules in human bodies and provide sort of, in my mind, a new opportunity to measure things that we couldn't measure that gives us even more scope towards diagnostics or therapeutic knowledge about particular diseases and areas. And the predominancy of our focus is mainly around understanding things that change in the bowels. So we're looking really at things like inflammatory bowel disease or incontinence, which, you know, probably not the most glamorous areas of study compared to a lot of areas in biology, but, you know, are massive epidemical problems and, and will be bigger with an ageing population. Yeah, and so how far have you have you got with that? How's that going? Yeah, it's going very well. I think, you know, we've we've made different rates of progression with a variety of different things. Um, and I guess sort of two areas that are really feeling like they've made real traction at the moment is one that we've identified some signaling molecules in the bowel that we think are related with aging or inflammation that we think we might be able to target in order to sort of maybe even reverse or affect those changes with age. And we've also developed a sensor probe that we can utilize uh, for insertion into the anorectal region as an early detector for bowel incontinence. So we can maybe understand that if a patient is going to start have age-related incontinence, 
and help then for the physician to direct some therapy. They're, they're developments we hope really we can move towards commercialisation. Mm. Uh, we've mentioned the video that you recorded a couple of years ago. You made, as you said, a bold aim that you'd become a professor by the time you're 40. So what's the next one? What's the next bold well, aim? Well, that's 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 good. I think when, when Mike Porter recorded the video with me, I said, once I got to that milestone, we'll record another one. <laughs> um, so I haven't thought about it. But I guess my next bold claim is probably... Um, to really make some serious traction on on the progression of my research and my teaching that you know goes beyond just the school or beyond even the institution and start to really take more onus on sort of things like the attainment gap or translation of my research that really shapes more than where we are at at the school or the university level so it's really really going for that next tier of development is really where I want to get towards. We end every podcast with five questions and talking points away from your work so the first one would be what advice would you give to your younger self well given my younger self was crying at clearing I guess probably the focus at that time would be to really think about you know some of the confidence that I should have had at that time to to not worry about the situation and more importantly go and self-reflect on maybe what was the cause of maybe some of my failures at the time. And I, and I guess deep down I knew that I wasn't good at exams or I wasn't good at some of these study skills. And like most people, you avoid the things that you find uncomfortable. And uh, I guess from that moment forward, it was sort of, you shouldn't find that, you know, should have tackle, tackle those things as you move forward. So I guess my, my younger self, I'd say, don't hide from the problem, go and tackle the problem because you might not end up in a mess that you self-create. Can you pick a favourite place in Sussex? I guess I like the beauty of where we are, that we have the opportunity of the National Trust, and I like a lot of the National Trust sites like Nyman's or the South Downs or Devil's Dyke. But I also love the city as much, you know. I love I love the vibrance uh, that the city brings and actually the diversity that Brighton really has uh, and the quirkiness of that. So... Actually, I like both, and it's nice to have a balance of both um, to keep everyone sane, I think. Mm. What would your perfect weekend look like? Uh, so right now, I guess my perfect weekend is is sitting in front of the telly watching the Cricket World Cup, to be honest, <laughs> as I'm an avid cricket fan. Um, but but aside from that, I guess I'm a, really, I'm a real foodie, so uh, one of my real big interests is surveying the, the excellent food landscape that Brighton is beginning to shape into and, and surveying a lot of the restaurants in those particular areas. And beside that, probably spending a lot of time with my sort of six-year-old daughter and, and opening her eyes to the imaginary life that breathes out there. What are you currently reading, watching and or listening to? So um, um, sticking with my current passion of cricket at the moment, I'm watching the Cricket World Cup and... Uh, at the same time, I'm reading something about cricket. So I'm reading a book called Selection Day by Aravinda Agat, who uh, is a great story about um, really the hustle and bustle of Mumbai and a father that is preparing his two kids for selection for the Mumbai cricket team and the challenges that brings around in that sort of real social divide and class divide that exists within the city, within Mumbai itself. So it's a real good um, counterbalance between sports and all the other challenges that society brings with it. And if you can invite three people to dinner, past or present, who would they be and why? Uh, yeah, great question. So I think obviously I'd, I'd want to have my family there. My wife and my daughter would be the obvious two, but um, I guess you probably hear that quite a lot. Um, <laughs> that's an option. So I thought long and hard about this and 
I, I then thought, right, who would I invite that really would be important in the area that I'm really passionate about, which is measurement. And I, I, I ruled it down to three. So I'm trying to stick to the rules. So the first one would be Michael Faraday. And I've chosen Michael Faraday because he is the godfather of electrochemistry. And fundamentally, all my research is in electrochemistry. My next person would be Mikhail Savent, who is the creator of chromatography, uh, which is probably the most universally and widely used measurement technique in every sector that we think about at this moment in time. And my last person would be Venkatesh Raman, who created light scattering for spectroscopy. And I've, I've chosen these three people because they, they never crossed each other's paths. They were always within 20 years of each other. These great minds that brought three of the biggest disciplines in my sector would have been amazing to have on a table to see what they'd have come up with together because people have come up with techniques that have fused those disciplines together, but it's taken a hell of a long time. I'm sure they would have done it over a dinner table. Thanks so much to Bavik for his time. A link to information on how to apply to the University of Brighton through Clearing is in the podcast description or visit brighton.ac.uk. And if you're thinking about coming here, take a look through our back catalogue of podcast episodes to see if you can hear from someone who may well be teaching you in the future. It may just help you make up your mind. We're on most podcast apps. Just search the University of Brighton. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.